Good morning. Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, February 9th. I'm Anastasia Glova. Today's podcast concerns the contentious issue of executive pay. President Bush, Labor Secretary Elaine Chao, and Commerce Secretary Carlos Gutierrez have all spoken out on the issue recently, contributing to the debate over regulating CEO salaries or leaving them to the market to decide. Our expert today is Cato Senior Fellow Dan Mitchell. Do you think that our executive pay system is working well? Markets are very efficient in making sure that if a company underpays or overpays, they'll eventually be punished by competitors. Does that mean our executive pay system is perfect? No, of course not. But one thing I can say for sure is that if the government gets involved, it's going to make it worse. We don't want government bureaucrats and politicians trying to tell private companies, private board members, private shareholders what executives can be paid. What does it even mean to overpay? Isn't it just a matter of supply and demand? It should be just a matter of supply and demand. And even in a system of supply and demand, it doesn't mean that companies are going to make perfect decisions. Companies sometimes hire bad CEOs, sometimes they hire bad secretaries, sometimes they hire bad production workers. But the beauty of a marketplace is that there's an incentive to correct bad decisions quickly so that we can have the most efficient possible use of resources. Now, that sounds very dry and technical. What does that really mean? It means we'll have higher living standards because we'll be producing more with less. You've got to agree that the excessive paychecks executives receive in compensation are contributing to the middle-class squeeze. There's not a fixed pie in the economy. If Bill Gates is getting richer, it doesn't mean that I'm getting poorer. We want everyone to get richer in America. Presumably, that's one of the values of our system. And the problem on the left is that they really do think it's their job, especially in Washington, to try to re-slice what they see as a stagnant or shrinking pie. And that's a guaranteed-to-lose proposition. That's what Europe has done. They're so focused on class warfare in Europe that they have a society that might have more equality, quote-unquote, but at the price of everyone being poorer than they are in America. It seems obvious that capping executive salaries would leave more money in the hands of companies to pay out to middle management and workers. What happens if you cap salaries is that you discourage some of the best and brightest in our society of going into the profession of executive management. Do we really want our best and brightest to go off being trial lawyers or something like that? If you have a lot of talent, if you're the Bill Gates of tomorrow, if you're the Warren Buffett of tomorrow, we want you out there creating wealth, thinking of new products, thinking of new ways to serve the American consumer. In a free society, you only become rich because you're offering something of value to other people. Now, again, doesn't mean that every decision ever made is going to be the right one with the benefit of hindsight. It could very well be that lots of money gets invested in a product that doesn't work or that a certain CEO turns out to be a bust. But again, whatever imperfections there are in a market, we know that government intervention will make everything far, far worse. Quite frequently, the problem is that CEO compensation is completely divorced from CEO performance. How can you address this problem? You can find isolated examples where a bad CEO is sort of booted out and given a nice golden parachute. But one of the reasons those golden parachutes are put in there is so that CEOs won't have an incentive to fight their expulsion. If you have a bad CEO in a company, and don't forget these companies can be worth billions and billions of dollars with tens of thousands of jobs on the line. So if there's a bad CEO, you want to make sure that that CEO is not going to fight and kick and scream and dig in his or her heels when you want to get them out the door so you can bring in someone who can put the company back on the right footing so that those jobs, those investments are protected and the the economy can flourish better. 
Now, the Labor Secretary, Elaine Chao, recently warned that if companies didn't get their pay structures in line, then regulation would have to follow. On the other hand, Carlos Gutierrez has said that the pay system is working well. So are the secretaries not on message on the issue? What's going on here? Well, I think the administration is completely off message. You had the president himself going to Wall Street whining about executive pay. I mean, I'm not saying there's nothing Washington can do, but what Washington can do is to get out of the way. Do you realize that the anti-takeover laws that we have in this country help entrench fat cat management and protect them from shareholders who might think they're not doing a good job? But you never hear the politicians talking about getting rid of takeover laws. They're always talking about things that would add more intervention, more regulation, more red tape to our economy and make America more like Europe. Another good example is let's look at the 1993 tax increase. One of Clinton's provisions was to put a cap on executive pay or on the deductibility of executive pay. What happened? Well, that, of course, led corporate boards to say, well, we'll give you stock options instead of cash. Well, a lot of those stock options paid off because, of course, we in the last half of the 1990s, we had a nice stock market boom. And then, of course, the politicians turn around and they say, oh, it's unfair that these executives are getting all these stock options. Well, it's the stupid politicians who put in place the bad tax law that pushed executives and boards of directors in that direction. There should be a lesson here, and it's very obvious. When government touches something, they muck it up. It's sort of a reverse Midas touch. Whose business is it then to determine pay? It's not my business. It's not your business. It's not the politician's business. Or let me rephrase that. It's only our business if we're shareholders. If we're shareholders... We can go to the shareholders' meetings. We can organize other shareholders. We can try to get the pension funds and the big investors involved. We can try to create a stir if we think a company's being mismanaged. And, of course, ultimately, we have the choice to sell our shares if we think a company's being mismanaged and that corporate executives are getting paid that's excessive. The reality is, though, that if you look at the academic evidence, there seems to be a pretty strong link between corporate pay and corporate performance. If every dollar of corporate pay leads to an increase in the value of the company, way above a dollar, that's obviously in the interest of shareholders to try to pay that person more because they're yielding good results for their shareholders. Don't forget, people invest in companies because they want to make a profit. And if they think that they have to pay someone $3 million a year to get the best decisions at a multi-billion dollar company with tens of thousands of employees, what business is it of politicians in Washington, most of whom couldn't manage their way out of a paper bag, what business is it of theirs to intervene in that private decision-making process? The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org. The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org. The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org.